Good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors. On the mic with you. It's Wednesday. It's study time. Revival breakthrough week three. Uh, fasting for crisis intervention. Now, I want to say this right off the bat. We had some problems Sunday. Um, somewhere in the midst of, of our message, and I, I just happened to catch it when the screen went black. Have no idea. Maybe my camera's going out. Not real sure yet. Um, don't know what happened there. The recording went on. We just kept going. So that's going to happen tonight, too. If, by chance, my camera gives up on me, I'm not going to stop. We're going to keep recording. We're going to keep going. So stick with me. So, Revival Breakthrough, week three. Got quite a bit of material here tonight. I'm going to try to get through it. I apologize for it being so late. Um, we just had a lot of things going on. It's a busy time uh, right now, especially with the hail season and uh, all the things going on. We're, we were trying to put some garden in, had some grandbabies out here with us this evening. Some kids showed up to visit with us. Whew, what a day. What a day. We're going to get through this. Revival Breakthrough, week three, fasting for crisis intervention. I wish I had a lot of time to talk about crisis intervention. It is one of my fortes. It is one of my specialties. I have um, multiple uh, certificates of, of, of accommodations for training that I have gone through in crisis intervention, some with the Federal uh, Incident of Critical Incident Stress Foundation, um, many others that I've dealt with with crisis intervention. I've been a juvenile detention center chaplain. Uh, I've, I've gone through lots of things, suicide prevention intervention, suicide recognition, uh, group crisis intervention, critical incident stress management, pastoral crisis intervention, lots of things that I have dealt with. This is interesting material tonight to me because of that it's talking about fasting for crisis intervention. You ever found yourself in a crisis? You ever wondered how you were going to survive a crisis? And, and a crisis can come in multiple, multiple ways. Trauma comes in multiple ways. We talk about a lot with our military veterans, our, our first responders, our law enforcement agencies, our firefighters who have dealt with, with PTS. Um, it's formerly known as PTSD. The D stands for disorder. Um, there's a lot of challenge with that. Many people can suffer from PTS, which is post-traumatic stress. It can come from any traumatic event in our life. It can be all kinds of things. Um, I've dealt with trauma in my life. Most of us have dealt with some form of trauma in their life. But crisis intervention can be actually, um, we can learn from fasting for crisis intervention. The topic of fasting for crisis intervention is tremendously relevant in this time of political, economical, and, and spiritual turmoil in the world's nations today. Today, we are contending for personal breakthroughs, and we're contending for family breakthroughs. We're contending for breakthroughs for our churches, our ministries, our schools, and our cities. If we ever needed breakthrough, we need them now because we are at a historical crossroad in this mess. But we have this opportunity. God invites us to participate in making history before his throne. A crisis and its outcome. There, crisis comes in many forms. I already talked about that, but here's some outcome. The Old Testament gives various examples of how extreme crisis were dealt with or addressed or needs were met when people sought the Lord with fasting and prayer, prompting God's intervention and presence in those situations. When people react to major crisis by the power of unified fasting, worship, praise, and prayer, God's remedy comes forth. I mean, that's his element. When we come together corporately, when we come together as as a unified body and, and we fast before the Lord, 
we worship before the Lord, we praise before the Lord, and we and we spend time in prayer. God shows up in the midst of that. Uh, one example of this in the remarkable story of Second Chronicles chapter twenty, verse one through thirty, and I'm not going to take us through, all the way through all that material. I would I would encourage you to read Second Chronicles chapter twenty, verses one through thirty. I'm gonna I'm gonna set it up here, but it relates to how an enemy army attacked King Jehoshaphat and the Israelites during his reign. So starting with verse one, and I'm just going to take you through a little bit. I'm going to set this up. But it's actually verses 1 through 30 is the whole passage of Second Chronicles chapter 20. But it says, Now it happened after this that the Moabites and the Ammonites, together with some of the Minyanites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then it was reported to Jehoshaphat, A great multitude has come against you from beyond the Dead Sea, out of Aram, Syria. And behold, they are on the Hazazon Tamar, which is the Engedi. Uh, then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set himself determinedly as his vital need to seek the Lord. Now, that's a pretty good thought, right? You find out that you've got all these these enemies, all these 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 uh, strongholds that are coming against you. It's a pretty good idea that you're going to need to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah, throughout the entire tribe, so that the people of Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from all of the cities of Judah to seek the Lord, longing for him with all their heart. What a beautiful picture. Jehoshaphat is a king, is, is, is being told, hey, all these armies have gathered together to come against us. They're coming after you, buddy. What does he do? In, instead of running and hiding and sticking his head in the sand, instead of calling for all of his army, calling for all of his generals, preparing for war, the very first thing he does is calls his people to corporately seek the Lord. What a powerful thought. This goes on to say, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, in front of the new courtyard, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand. There is no one able to take a stand against you. Again, this goes on through several other pieces of scripture there, all the way down to verse 30. I don't want to take the time to take us through that, but I would encourage you to read that, Second Chronicles 21 through 30. In this passage, the significance and the value of Jehoshaphat's call for a nation to fast should not be overlooked. He called for the entire nation. That would be like that would be like our, our president calling for the entire United States to come together, unified body, and begin to worship the Lord, to begin to fast and to seek the Lord for answers. That's exactly what happened here. To summarize this thrilling episode of the, in the Chronicles of God's people, first, the crisis was acknowledged, and it was acknowledged before the Lord. Second, God provided a critical response. Here was the sequence of events. The people were called to to unite in corporate fasting. We'll talk about fasting here in a minute. The, The leader offered a sincere prayer of confession and dependence appealing for mercy. So, so the leader, the, the, the king, stood before the Lord. Sincere prayer, confession of God, we're dependent on you. We can't do this without you. Appealing for God's mercy. God intervened and gave direction for action. If you read that whole passage, you see what happens there. 
God's presence was released and victory was, was won. The battle was won. Today, God still remembers when Jehoshaphat called all the people of Judah to fast and how the people praised and worshiped the Lord. God commemorated that event by recording it in his book, the Bible, the very book of remembrance. God recalls every act of worship. So know that God remembers your sacrifice for revival breakthrough. Those sacrifices are written down in his book in heaven. Likewise, God remembers our united corporate fasting and our prayers of confession, dependence, and mercy. At such times, he gives us direction, and our response should be extravagant praise, which releases God's presence in our midst. Remember, we've been talking about we need his presence more than we need his power. Because we're in his presence, his power resides. Blessings come from fasting. Fasting is a tool that gives believers in Christ Jesus manifest power over Satan and his works of darkness. The, the fasting principle we can stand on is this. Sacrifice releases great power. You, you need to understand that about fasting. Sacrifice releases great power. Isaiah 58 presents many blessings that we will, can receive by choosing to fast as we endeavor to obey the Lord and serve others on his behalf. I have preached a message on Isaiah 58. I have it in my notes. I'll preach it again. It is a very powerful piece of scripture. The entire chapter of Isaiah 58 lays out fasting uh, and, and the type of fasting that God is looking for from us. He ain't looking for something that just says, hey, we're going to fast because, oh, you know, we're supposed to, and we might lose weight doing it, and we'll look good. It's not the fast he's looking for, and you'll see that in Isaiah 58. And he describes the fast that he is looking for. We need to remember that fasting is more than just abstaining from food. It's not just food. It realigns our lives with God's heart, his will, and his purpose in our generation. I personally consider periodic fasting essential, but not necessarily always in the pur the purest form of abstaining from food. I like to eat. Obviously, you look at my size. I I I'm a fan of food. But fasting is way more than just saying, hey, I'm going to skip a meal. Believe it or not, it's not hard for me to skip a meal. I could simply tell you, oh, I fasted breakfast this morning. I did. I didn't eat breakfast this morning. I don't always eat breakfast. I very seldom eat breakfast, actually. So it wouldn't be hard for me to fast breakfast. But it, but the, that's not the point. The, the point is taking whatever it is that we sacrifice, whatever it is that we give up, like instead of just not eating breakfast and going about my day, which is pretty much my norm, I'm supposed to take the time that I would have spent eating breakfast on my face before the Lord, crying out to him, worshiping him, seeking him, calling out for whatever's going on around me. You see the difference in fasting? Fasting can also include choosing to forgo, for example, complaining. Maybe you should try that. Maybe you should fast your complaining. Maybe you should fast your gossiping. Maybe you should fast your, fast your social media. That's hard for me to do. I'm a social butterfly. I'm, I'm on there a lot. I use it ministerially. That's my, that's my excuse. That's what I'm sticking to. Or, or another negative trait or distraction. Maybe you should fast those things. Maybe, maybe it's a critical spirit that you have. Maybe you're constantly critiquing those around you. Maybe you take that time that you spend critiquing people and put it before the Lord and intercede on their behalf. Maybe go on a fast from negativity, which can be harder than fasting food for many of us. We live in a negative culture. 
It's become the norm to be negative, to be critical. Try fasting those things. I believe that fasting from whatever is a hindrance in your life is a sacrifice before God, and it's for a spiritual benefit. Isaiah chapter 58, we've been talking about verses 6 through 12 is all I'm going to share with you. You'll have to go look at Isaiah 58 to read the rest. But Isaiah 58, 6 through 12 in the Amplified, starting with verse 6, says this, Rather, is this not the fast which I choose? To undo the bonds of wickedness, to tear to pieces the ropes of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break apart every enslaving yoke. Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless and the poor into your house? When you see the naked that you cover him and not to hide yourself from the needs of your own flesh and blood. Another version says, don't hide from your family. (laughs) Then your light will break out like the dawn and your healing, your restoration, new life will quickly spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you, leading you to peace and prosperity. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and your Lord will answer. You will cry and help and he will say, here am I. If you take away from your midst the yoke of oppression, the finger pointed in scorn toward the oppressed or the, or the godly, and every form of wicked, sinful, unjust speech, and if you offer yourself to assist the hungry and to satisfy the need of the afflicted, then, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday, and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your soul in scorched and dry places." and give you strength to your bones, and you will be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail, and your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will rise up and restore the age-old foundations of buildings that have been laid waste. You will be called repairer of the breach, restorer of streets with dwellings, if you fast the right way. The, the fast that the Lord is looking for is that we do these things, that we loose the bonds of the wickedness, that, that we tear down the yokes of, of bondage, that, that we feed the hunger. There's, there's two places in Isaiah 58. These are not my notes. This is free. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press to try to get this done. But there's two places in Isaiah 58 where it talks about feeding the hungry. If you look at its origins, if you look at the Greek and Hebrew origins of writing, the first time it tells you in Isaiah 58 to feed the hungry It's literally talking about taking them to McDonald's and buying a hamburger, feeding them physical food. But the second time here, where it says it again, if you look at its origins, it's to feed the hungry from what's inside you. It's to feed them from your soul. It's feeding them what you already know. It's feeding them the truth because it's the truth that will set them free. That's the fast that God is looking for in us. To summarize Isaiah 58, 6 through 12, fasting with obedience. It loosens the chains of injustice. It sets the oppressed free. It breaks yokes of bondage. It promotes sharing. It provides for the needy. It brings healing. It springs forth righteousness. It brings God's glory to protect you. It assures you that God will answer your calls for help. Encourages living righteously and being benevolent means that the Lord will guide you and satisfy your needs. It strengthens your body. It causes you to be fruitful and productive, and it can launch you into being a minister of reconciliation. What a powerful, powerful piece of Scripture. God's willing. You do, you do understand that. God is willing. We must recognize the following principle. If we will, God will. Remember, I say that a lot. If, if we will, He will. 
If we will be obedient to his word, if we'll do what he's asking us to do, if we'll follow him like he intended, he will unleash the promises that are throughout the Bible. That's good stuff right there. The preamble of the principle is knowing for certain that God is able and he's willing. To get to revival breakthrough, we must have a renewed mindset of trusting that God is willing to help us during great crisis and in the everyday needs of life alike. He's willing to help us. If your prayers are not based on knowing God is willing, you may need to identify hindrances that keep you from trusting him completely because God is willing. You have to get to a place where you know that you know this truth. Not only is God capable, not only is God able, but God is also willing, if we'll follow him. Then you can call forth God's intervention in every situation. Again, God never changes his character, but he changes his mind occasionally. Uh, Jonah, in, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, and chapter 3, verse 5 through 10, he himself often prompts us to request such intervention, as he did by warning the Ninevites of their impending destruction due to their wickedness. I'm not going to take us into Jonah. We, the story of Jonah, you know, Jonah was the guy swallowed by the whale, coughed up on the beach. He didn't even want to go to Nineveh. He's like burning people, God. I don't want nothing to do with him. But God was telling him, man, go and preach to these people. They'll repent. We've got to follow his bidding. We've got to be obedient to what he's asking us to do. One aspect of the nature of or character of God is that he is an invitational, participatory God. He invites and he participates. He enjoys engaging with his children to fulfill his purposes. God invites us to co-labor with him. He could do it all, but in his sovereignty, he has chosen to invite us into his process of ruling and reigning with him. We're heirs to the throne. We're part of the kingdom. When we're sold out, surrendered to Christ, we're, we're part of God's will. We're part of his being. He loves working with us. God is willing to intervene for us in times of crisis. He has allowed us to participate with him in crisis intervention, which includes fasting. As we consider crisis intervention, let us also remember that God is always faithful. God's mercy always triumphs over judgment. That is the nature of our Lord. Yet we must understand the various dimensions of God's nature to get as close to knowing him as possible here on this earth. And what has been emphasized in this devotion tonight, one of those dimensions is not only is he able, not only is he capable, but God is also willing. He is willing to do the things that we're, we're crying out for, but we've got to follow his way of getting there. We've got to follow his path. We've got to follow his instructions. We've got to go his way with his will in mind to get to wherever it is he wants us to be. Amen. Whew, what a message. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I pray that this is stirring your heart. What a place to be. Search out fasting. Look at Isaiah chapter 58. Spend some time there. Understand what he's saying in, in Isaiah 58. Look at it in a couple of different versions of, of Scripture so that you understand what's being spoken there. Fasting is important to us. It is our way into crisis intervention in our lives. Corporate fast. Teach your people to fast, pastors. Fast correctly. Not, not just about food but about truly fasting, sacrificing those things that are important, not only sacrificing them, but replacing them with time spent seeking God. 
Begin to seek God corporately. Get a group of people together and begin to pray over things going on in your life, in your church, in your leadership, whatever it may be. Let God break through with revival wherever you are today. Amen. Rodney and I love you. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for your giving. Thank you for your prayer. Thank you for your support. We know that we're doing what God has called us to do. We're seeking out that which is lost so that it may be found. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you again real soon.